I've been to a lot of funerals in my lifetime, and certainly more since I've been a Christian. I've done a lot more funerals and memorials, uh, first as a youth minister, and then even more in the position I'm in now. And I can tell you, I didn't always realize this, didn't always recognize this, but I know that there are two very different types of funerals, two different experiences. When you go to one and you go to the other, it's palpable. You understand it. And we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between those two very different settings. Though you come to do the same thing, there's a reason that it's different. Our theme this year at Northside in 2018 is growing in grace. And we're going to talk a lot about not just the subject of grace, but how we can improve, how we can grow in it, how we mature in it as Christians. You see, it's not just about starting in Christ through baptism, faith, and repentance, profession of his name. But, but, but once you start, you begin a journey that requires maturity and excelling and improving and that's not that you're earning anything. It means you're changing, you're growing. Just consider for a minute that Jesus left no one with whom he came in contact the same. He was always changing people, not into uh, what they wanted to be, but in who God wanted them to be. Those funerals. Number one is a place of despair. There's tears and mourning. Not of a hope-filled nature. The funeral, you see, is the end of the line. It's the point where we come to say goodbye, our last farewells, share those final memories. That's the first type. The second, you do some of the same things. Oh, yes, there are tears. Uh, Just 24 hours ago, I was on this stage behind the pulpit and uh, sharing and reflecting upon the life of Dorothy Decker But that wasn't like the first type of funeral. In fact, Scott was very specific. He said, we want this to be a celebration of life. And I understood, I believe he did too, that it wasn't just celebrating her life of 75 years in this world. It was celebrating the life that she now enjoys in heaven for all eternity. That type of experience is very different. There's no longer despair, but there's hope There's no longer sadness. There's still tears, but the tears are now of joy. See, Miss Dorothy had been suffering for a couple of months, had been battling with cancer, and and she was ready to go. And now she's freed from that, you see. Because of the grace that she had in Jesus Christ, because of her relationship with him, and the way in which she lived that out through her life, her funeral was more like Her memorial was more like the second type. It was a celebration. It was a going home. It wasn't just goodbye. It was see you later. We believe Miss Dorothy. We believe that Miss Gladys. Oh, they they know are not dead. No, in fact, they are more alive than they have ever, ever been. And that hope comes because of the grace that we have through Jesus And that's what we're talking about in this series. Now, this is a textual series, All Things New. We're in Romans chapter 6. If you were with us last week, uh, you know we covered verses 1 through 4. 
This week we're going to be in verses 5 through 9. If you didn't catch it last week, you can go download the podcast or check it out on Vimeo. But we are endeavoring to talk about how our life changes in Christ. It changes in, in this world and it changes in the world to come. And so in just a moment, James is going to read from Romans chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 5 now. He's reading, I believe, from the English Standard Version. You may have a different translation. That's okay. But we want you to follow along because we want you to be in the Word. We believe that's where most impact come from, comes from. And so we'll do that here right now. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. James? For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Okay, so the first thing we understand as we read through this passage is that we have a hope that begins with the resurrection of Christ. Verse 5, you heard James read it, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, this presupposes that you've just read chapter 4, which we talked about last week. How do we know if we've been united with him in a death like his? Because we've been buried with him in baptism. And what happens there is we're buried with him, not only dying to the old self, but so that we might be raised... To walk a new kind of life. We have a new kind of hope. It changes everything. Now, I don't want to rehash all of last week's lesson. I just want you to understand that verse 4 brings us to verse 5. When we understand what it is that begins the process, then we get to verse 5. And I just want to focus on one word in this verse. And it's the word, certainly. He says, if you, if you have been united with him in a death like his, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you have to be uh, flogged? Does that mean you have to uh, be crucified in Roman fashion on the stake? No, absolutely not. He's saying, what you have to do is crucify the old self. Turn away from yourself. This is so different from what you hear in the world today. That the key to happiness, fulfillment, contentment, and purpose has everything to do with you following your heart. Christ says quite the opposite. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, if a man would follow Christ, he bids him come and die. The birth begins by dying to self. And then once we, because of his resurrection, we will certainly be united in a resurrection like his. I don't plan to do this because there's no way I can be at every possible exit. But if it were possible to seal off the doors and only have you go through one exit, I know some of you are very good at avoiding the preacher, okay? But if you could possibly funnel through one exit and every single person would have to file past the preacher and look me in the eye and I could ask you one question, my question to you would be, are you going to heaven? That's my goal. That's what I want to know. I, I, I mean, I, I love to hear about jobs and kids and anniversaries and great things going on in your life. But none of that matters if your eternity is not settled and secure. 
As I walk through that in my mind of, of all six, seven hundred of you filing past me and looking in the eye, I can almost predict the answers that I would get. Chief among those answers of answer, an answer to the question, are you going to heaven, would be the most frequently often answered, I hope so. Not hope in a confident sort of way, hope in a, I don't know if I'm walking the tightrope of faith just right. I don't know if I, all my good stuff outweighs all my bad stuff. I just don't know because I just really, I, I think I'm doing right. I come to church as often as I can and I, I just hope I'm doing enough. I hope I'm doing what's right. And you need to understand that that version of hope is a totally mis- misconstrued idea from the biblical idea of hope. My hope for you is that your answer to my question of are you going to heaven would be one word. And it's right here in Romans 6 verse 5. Certainly. Because as Paul says, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The real question is, how confident are you in your faith in Jesus Christ? How are you confident? See, see if, you're, if your confidence depends on you, that's why you're going to say, I hope so. Because if you just imagine just in the last 24 hours, all the different ways in which you've sinned, outwardly and inwardly, man, it's convicting. And it causes you to say, man, I, I just, I don't even know. But if your confidence is not in yourself, if your confidence is in your Savior, you can say with absolute assuredness, certainly. I believe that's how Dorothy, I know that's how Gladys would have answered. We understand our confidence then is not in ourselves. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Now I want you to stay anchored in Romans chapter 6, but turn to Hebrews chapter 4. As the writer there compares many of the old laws and the old covenant that the Jewish Christian to which he would have been writing would have been familiar. And he calls out something he says, we're in Hebrews 4, about verse 14, he says this. For we, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, in every way, was tempted, just as we are, and yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence... Did you, did you, I probably read that too fast. You, you probably just waiting for me to get to the next point. Let, let me back that up. Put it, dude, dude, dude. Okay. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. You see, your confidence better not be in you, not for a single solitary second. Your confidence must be in your high priest, which, by the way, it does not say high preacher. You think it looks bad to have confidence in yourself. Try having confidence in the preacher. Okay, I'm convicted that the reason I'm in this position is to teach you all that we all need grace, that we all need mercy, including your preacher. Your confidence is not in the preacher. Your confidence is not in the elders. Your confidence is not in yourself. Your confidence is not in your parents. Your confidence is in your high priest, Jesus. 
who has gone beyond the heavens in his resurrection. Considering this subject of confidence and our hope, I believe there are two great doctrinal errors. At one end of the spectrum is this belief that you cannot lose your salvation. That once you are saved, you are always and forevermore saved. There is nothing you could do to fall from grace. And as much as I would love to believe that idea, it is simply so unbiblical, I cannot adhere to it. The scripture is very clear in numerous places to be careful that you do not fall. To stand firm then. To do not fall from grace to try to uh, achieve your righteousness through legalistic works. So that's at one end of the spectrum, once they've always saved. The other end of the spectrum is much different heresy, but equally as bad. And what I call once saved, almost saved. The person being in Christ, person knowing, being confident of the promises in Christ, being confident in their high priest, and yet still not being convicted or confident of their assuredness of their salvation and the guarantee of the hope that they have through the blood of Jesus. You see, this, once saved, almost saved, is just as bad as this, once saved, always saved. Our hope is in Jesus. The certainty of our hope then affects our life in so many ways. Just think about it for just a second. If you believe in the power of the resurrection, if you believe that Jesus did indeed come out of that tomb on the third day, then what you should understand and what you should experience is a total, complete, absolute Hope and joy and grace overflowing in almost every area of your life. It should affect everything you do. First, in your worship. When you come to worship, are you worshiping him who made that possible? Are you worshiping him in spirit and in truth and in heart and soul and mind and strength? Are you giving it your all? Do you have the joy? Have you forgotten to tell your face? I'm serious. Your joy and your hope, you cannot, there's a commercial going on right now, and I don't even remember what the commercial is for, but it's a great lesson. It says, try to say the following without smiling. You got a promotion. Congratulations. That's wonderful. You're getting paid twice what you used to get paid. You can't do that without a smile. Now, if you can't do that without a smile on such a tiny little thing, then to understand the grace that you've received through Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and the hope that it gives us ought to change how you worship. I'm not talking in style here. I'm talking about in confidence. We're not just reading through an order of worship and saying, okay, what's the next two songs? One more prayer. Come on, we're almost out of here. It is a confidence. There's a purpose behind it. You see, when we have hope, we worship the one who gave us hope. Imagine every single person to whom Jesus gave hope. How did they react? After whether healing their blindness or a lifelong illness or making them be able to walk again? Remember the story of the man who was lame and Peter and John healed him? And the scriptures and Acts tell us that he was walking and leaping and praising God. Why? Just because they were allowed him to walk? No, because they gave him hope again. The people of God should have the hope of the resurrection. It should change our, our worship and allow us to worship confidently. It should change your service. 
How you serve, the attitude with which you serve. Now, now Northside, don't misunderstand me after a, a year of the light of life. I know you have the hearts to serve. I know you have the hearts to give. But there's a difference when you serve out of duty or obligation or because the preacher twists your arm. There's a difference when you give out of duty or obligation or when the preacher twists your arm and doing it out of joy and love. Doing it with an attitude that pleases the Lord, with a smile on your face. Serving those who don't yet know Christ because you see it as an opportunity to lead them to Christ. It ought to change not just your worship, not just how you serve, but in how you grow. Are you growing as a Christian? See, it usually comes down to, well, I just got to try harder. I just got to do more. And, and I think those things are true, but unless it's motivated by the right heart, by the right spirit, by the right attitude. And it should change your personal evangelism if you are not confident that you are going to heaven my guess is you're not leading anyone else there either but when you're confident as peter says but in your hearts honor christ the lord as holy always being prepared to do so uh, to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have to do this with gentleness and respect are you going to heaven Just one word, certainly. And if you believe that here, it ought to make a difference in your worship, in your service, in your personal growth and development, and in your sharing of your faith. There's lots of other ways it can be evident too, but when your hope shines through your life, it truly does change everything. Got to rush on here. Uh, Our hope, number two, is in our redemption. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order from the body of sin. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. You probably heard the comparison that a church is kind of like a hospital. It's a hospital for sick people. And I always thought that was a good picture. I think it could go something like the church is designed to be a hospital for the sick, not a museum for sinners. It's it's not a museum for the saints. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Continuing that picture, if the hospital is a place for the sick, if the church is like a hospital, then the only medicine we have is just one. It's the blood of Jesus. It's his grace given to us at the cross. The question is, what kind of hospital are we? You think a lot of different churches, they, they, that looks different in different ways. There are some hospitals where no one ever gets well. Well, people just are almost proud of the fact of how sick they are and all the sicknesses they've got. But they never, they never heal up. They never get better. Grace just gives them more license to get sicker and sicker. The other extreme of that, I think, is a hospital where everyone pretends to be well all the time. There is no sickness. I'm, I'm just fine. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Please don't ask me any more personal questions. We're doing fine. Thank you. Okay. May we not be at either end of the extreme. May we never, ever see the grace of God as a license to sin, 
nor may, may we ever fail in the acknowledgement of our total, complete need for his mercy and his grace. Uh, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul addresses this to a church that was pretty sick. And he, he calls it out pretty clearly. He says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, Paul says you guys were all sick. And it was his grace that made you well. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You see, a church, uh, grace ought to make a difference in the people of the church. And that should be true for us collectively. As we hear the stories of Celebrate Recovery and people who say, this is where I was. I'm not there any longer. But I'm still journeying on on that journey of recovery through Jesus Christ. And it also makes a very strong difference in your life individually. Not just collectively, not just in the broad sense, but right down to you. Turn about nine chapters over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, being brutally honest, writes these words with such love. I'm not going to look at a larger context. I just want to look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. You see, Paul understood that he was no longer what he used to be or who he used to be because of Jesus. And he believed in that hope not just for himself, but for the saints at Corinth. May we do the same. May I ask you this morning, what difference has his grace made in your life? What change has it made? What impact, looking back through your life, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and beyond, what change, how did the grace of Jesus Christ change you? How can you look back and say, because of his grace, I am what I am? You see, if you're just the same as you were 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, you haven't made any growth. You haven't experienced the fullness of his grace. We'll finish by talking about our hope is in our resurrection, not just his resurrection. Now go back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Now if we died with Christ, is verse 8, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see, because of Jesus, you are guaranteed, you are promised, you are given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, in fact, guaranteeing this inheritance, that someday you will be in a body that's better than the one you have now. I love this promise, especially the older that I get. And some of you are scoffing about me talking about being old. Do you realize that the older you get, your skin starts to sag? You get weird sorts of growths and warts and things that you didn't used to have. 
Your joints start to make noise when you move them. You have pain in doing simple things that you used to do without even a thought. Paul calls your body a tent, which is my biblical belief that camping is an ungodly thing. (laughs) You understand if you are a big camper or a little camper, you hate camping, that a tent is not made to be a permanent home. It is a it is a temporary portable thing that at some point you put away because it's fully served its purpose. Right, Doug? Can I get an amen? He's looking down. He doesn't want to talk to me right now. Your body is wearing out because it's a tent, because God didn't intend for you to reside in that tent forever. He has something far better for you, but you're only going to get there through the resurrection of Jesus. His resurrection gives you hope for your resurrection someday. My right eye, could I tell you about my right eye? My right eye has been through so much in this life. When I was just about five years old, I put a knife in this right eye, had to have two surgeries. I struggled with having normal vision. Then, as some of you know, just last year, I got smacked in the face with a tennis ball and just put me through misery all over again. There is no part of my body more more hope filled about the joy of the resurrection body than my right eye. Listen, there's coming a day. There is coming a day because of the precious resurrection of Jesus that I'll be able to look and see in two dimensions. That I'll see fully and completely far better than I ever have here in this world. And I don't know what that means for you, but my guarantee is that part of you is wearing out because that's the way God designed it. He wanted you to remember that this world is not a permanent place, that you're not in a permanent body, and that you are designed to go on to better places. So may we not lose the hope of our resurrection. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then we'll wind her down. Paul says this. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to look about verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The perishable, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must be put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we not forget that the victory is yours because of his grace and his power. His resurrection, of course, gives us great hope. But that points us to an even greater hope. In our resurrection. It's what gave Miss Dorothy hope. It what gives Miss Gladys hope. It what, it's what ought to give all of you hope. Because if you remain with this church family, someday at some point you're going to be in this room, although you will not be as you are now. You'll be in a coffin. You'll be in an urn. You'll be in some form or fashion. And those who loved you most will tell stories about your life. But you will be in a far, far better place. May we not lose that hope now. May our hope be in him. 
our challenge for the month of January is the pay it backwards challenge. And as we learn to grow in grace, I've been challenging you to do little practical exercises. We're going to do this all throughout the year. A couple of you so far have taken me up on this and maybe more than that, but a couple of you have shared that experience. Patricia Middleton wrote that she went through the Sonic drive-thru this morning, yesterday morning, and paid for the person behind her. The cashier took it in stride, but the other employee seemed surprised and said, that's really awesome. Someone sent me a letter, Raymond Kiefer. He says, on Mondays, I go to Walmart to buy groceries. and leaving, I stopped at Subway. God gave me my person to buy lunch for, and I said a short prayer, and the words were given right to me. And so at the register, I said to a young man of about 19 years old, I said, you know, this world is filled with negativity sometimes. And if you would be acceptable to my and gracious to my offer, I'd like to buy your lunch today. He looked at me for about two seconds and he grinned and he said, this is so cool. And Raymond writes is an experience I will not forget. Those are simple acts of grace, but I believe they help us understand the grace which Christ has given us and which God has given us through his son. May we not forget the power of it. And I want to challenge you, you've still got two more weeks to practice an act of paying it backwards, to give someone an undeserved gift of favor, whether it be in the Starbucks line or at Chick-fil-A. Um, if the latter, please call me so I can line up right behind you. I love all of you. I really mean that. I pray over you before I give the message. Because I want the message not to be about me, but to be about him and the power of his word working in you. And this morning, if you are not ready to step into eternity, I want to invite you. I want to invite you. We can help you with uh, expressing faith in Christ and learning about what he's done for you. Uh, If you're ready to, to profess his name as Lord and to be buried with him in baptism, you can have not just hope in this world. You'll have hope for eternity in the world to come. If you are in need this morning of doing that, there is no better time than to do that right now. We're going to sing one final song, and I want to ask you to come forward if you have a need, or if you're in Christ, but you've lost your hope, you've forgotten your way, and you need some encouragement, some prayers, uh, we'd be glad to assist you with that as well. Whatever your need is, please come this morning as together you stand and sing.